Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Great Days Outdoor Magazine. First podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Brian Sin, joined by Stephen Wisdom. Stephen, my man, how is your week going, brother? Man, it's great. You know, we're rolling into a new month. We're off and running and can't complain. Had a late night last night. I walked in to the shop a little bit ago, and uh, all my guys looked at me and said, man, you look tired. Just beat down. I said, well, man, I was up late last night. They're like, well, where have you been? I said, ain't where I've been. I said, welcome to fatherhood. Welcome to fatherhood. Late <laughs> night with the kiddos last night. You know, had one. We call it acting a fool, but, but we're talking about a two-year-old here, so they weren't like literally acting a fool but just up late crying and two-year-old stuff now yeah and it's you know being a two-year-old and so you know i walked up in here this morning looking like i'd been out at the club all night last <laughs> night and, well let me ask you is uh, your uh is your wife as excited as mine about the news we got that september 14th these kids are going back to school five days a week yeah she was pretty elated i mean she was teared up to be honest with you and you know for us here joy tears of joy tears of joy she's she's uh we love our kids but she's ready for them to go back and at least for us here in in shelby county i don't know if it's different across the state i I honestly didn't see the announcement Uh, i didn't have to because my wife began to text and call me but it sounds like the kids going back to school in a couple weeks for full time and well you know i think it uh i know the importance of normalcy and and schedule and flow for children and their psychological development so i'm excited for them it's been a fun six month summer if you think about it right you know that's exactly what it's been so uh but you know especially i have i have one that started school so in kindergarten so i have a i have a kid uh you know i have a fourth grader second grader in a kindergarten and it's it's been challenging for him because it's so weird and different and so not what's been described for him for years of prepping him for school. So we're excited about getting everybody back to the regular flow of things. And, and I I think they are too. Yeah. And you know, I I really, when they went to this two day a week schedule, uh, I was thinking that, well, this will be fine for the teenagers. The one I was worried about was our fourth grader, you know, Mm -hmm. third, third and fourth graders. I mean, that's just a crucial time in their learning where they're, Mm -hmm. they're learning their, their basics, their math, their English, their reading, their writing, all that stuff. And I was worried about how that would be. But after the first few weeks of school, I've reversed that Mm -hmm. because she's really good about getting on the, her laptop that Mm -hmm. they give them a Chromebook, Mm -hmm. whatever you call it. And she gets her work done. I mean, and she works at it. She she enjoys it, and and so she does it. Now the teenagers, they just don't do it. <laughs> they go they go do other stuff and go. Oh yeah, yeah, Dad, we got it. We got it taken care of. So it's uh, definitely going to be it's it's going to be better having them back in school. That's for sure, man. But anyway, glad you're having a good week. Glad you made it here today. And uh, let's get started with the Alabama freshwater fishing report. Well, let's get to our first guest today, man, and we've got a new guest today we're excited about talking to in Eufaula, Alabama, Tony Adams, the crappie king. Tony, how you doing, man? Doing great. How are y'all doing? We're doing good, man. We appreciate you jumping on the uh, podcast with us today and and looking forward to hearing how the crappie fishing is going in Eufaula. Yes, sir. I'm glad y'all invited me on, and I will uh, do my very best to help, help everybody out and tell them what I do. I love it. Absolutely. Man. Now, you know, someone's going to call himself the crappie king. I mean, <laughs> the crappie king. Like, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, you know, before we dive into uh, a you follow report. But where, where, where did your, where did your love of crappie and ultimately the crappie king, you know, transpire? You know, like everybody's got memories, you know, some of my, best memories was with my granddad. He loved to fish and we'd come over to the lake on weekends and we'd uh crappy fish. But back then everybody thought crappy the only thing only time crappy would bite would be, you know, during the spawn or either they would bite at night with lights. So we'd come over here and we'd fish mainly during the spawn or we'd come over here, you know, on a Friday night, Saturday night, set our lights, you know, sit on the boat and crappy fish. Well I moved over here to Eufaula in 1989 
And, you know, that was one of my goals is, you know, because they're like any other fish and like all of us. I mean, you know, you've got to eat 12 months out of the year. So I know they had to had to eat during the daytime. So so I had to figure out a lot of ways to and I tried all different kinds of stuff, you know, around structure, jigs, um, minnows. And finally, I got got it down pat. You know, I mean, the electronics has a lot to do with it, which, you know, trying to find and locate the fish. And then after that, it was just a matter of, you know, trying, trying different techniques until I, until I really got it down. And mainly what I do, you know, is I do some jig fishing and I do minnow fishing, you know, doing a guide. You know, a lot of people would like to do it the way they was taught by their parents or grandparents. And most everybody likes to minnow fish. So, you know, when we go out there, then, you know, I take my electronics and I find the structure and, and after I find the structure, then, you know, we'll, we'll start, start fishing for the crappie. Now there's different times. Summertime's probably my favorite because, you know, that's when everybody has the hardest time trying to figure them out and trying to catch crappies during the summer. You know, I look for my structure, you know, anywhere from 12 foot, you know, to 25 foot deep. And after I start looking and finding the the structure, then, you know, it's just a matter of pulling up with electronics and seeing if there's fish on it. Now, just because there's fish on it don't mean that they're biting fish. You know, we'll fish that area, and usually we'll get you get on some good crappie, and then maybe a couple holes you pull up on, you don't even get a bite. You may go a thousand yards from it, and you can't keep you hooking the water. It's really interesting, and, you know, seeing those smiling faces and those bent rods, I mean, you know, that's in my past with my granddad, I mean, that was some of the best times I've ever had. That's awesome. say I'm that yes, sir. I'm on Lake Eufaula and I fish pretty much from uh from the dam to Lake Point. I don't do a whole lot of river fishing because I mainly just fish in the lake. I do fish a lot of the, the creeks, you know, like your uh Chihuahua and Barber Creek and Kayagi because there's a lot of structure in, in all those creeks also, you know, and also on the fingers off the main lake there's tons of crappy, you know, in the in just little fingers that you know, that runs off the main lake that may be you know, 18, 12 foot deep, they'd love to get there and, you know, to ambush, you know, the shad when, they, when they're coming over and get out of the, out of the sun. Tony, I'm going to have to admit, I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys that you talked about that likes to go out there in the, in, in, in the spring when they're, when they're biting good. I've got some great memories on Ufalo. We used to go there and, and, and camp at Lake Point Marine at campground. And in the spring, man, when those crappie were running the bikes and, and we, of course, we were mental fishing and, I remember one time there that um, you literally could not, if it was on the, we weren't fishing a foot off the bank. I mean, it's shallow. You didn't have your cork two inches above your minna. It's just as close as you could put it on the bike, and those crappie were right up there, and we were, we had a had a great time. So I got a lot of great memories in you, Fala. But, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about the last several weeks, I mean, it's hot right now, and people have trouble catching fish this time of year. A lot of your bass guys struggle right now crappie fishermen are struggling right now and so it always one thing that we we think about and you made this point talking about how we have to eat year round through your experience and and all the years that you have in this you know you're saying you love to to fish your summer is your favorite time of the year do you think the fish are as active and feed as much or do they eat less and get a little bit more lethargic or is it just you just got to fish for them different yeah, I think it's a little combination of all. You know, sometimes they're real aggressive, sometimes they're not. <clears throat> you know, usually on a on a cloudy day, you know, a lot of times early in the morning you can get on those flats, you know, in eight nine foot of water, and you can find fish where they've been up there schooling all night long, or you know, they're chasing chasing shad. You can catch them in that shallow water. Now, as that sun starts coming out <clears throat> and it starts getting hotter, they're gonna start moving to the deeper holes, or they're gonna get tighter to that structure. But I, I think, you know, they still have to eat. They're still healthy fish. But, you know, come about November, December, you know, that's when they really start getting real aggressive. You know, I reckon they're they're building, eating a, a lot to build up their fat, you know, to, you know, to make it through the winter because a lot of your shad's going to be gone. And, you know, even through the summer, you know, sometimes you can pull up those holes and they're just as great. You know, you can't fish but with one rod just as fast as you can set it down there. You know, you've got to fish. And other days you can come back and you may sit there and you may have to take your, your rod. You may have to twitch it a little bit, you know, just to get his attention. But they, 
to me, they'd school up a whole lot better during the summertime. And to me, it ain't as hard as hard to work for them as it is in most cases in the spring where you have to work that bank, you know, around six or eight to 12 inches deep, you know, to, you know, to jig for them or either, either, either minute fish, but you know, summertime to me is, that's one of my favorites. And, you know, I take a lot of people out, you know, just that wants to learn how to catch them during the summertime. This is really crazy to think because everybody wants to talk about how bad the summertime crappie right? fishing is. And I love when we run across a guy who really changes his perspective and turns his mentality towards, well, I want to figure it out when everyone else is kind of throwing it, throwing the towel in. And so that's, so that's, that that's pretty cool. Where do you see in Eufaula with the fluctuation of the water, even during the summertime, the bass will move back up shallow from the deep. And do you see that with crappie this time of year in the summer or are, are, are the crappie going to hold tight in those, those deep brush piles? What we've been doing, they, they do move shallow, but it's usually earlier in the morning or later in the afternoons. And, and most of the crappie will be, you know, if it's overcast day, they'll be scattered, you know, instead of being holding tight to that structure, mm. you know, they could be 20, 30 feet off that structure, you know, feeding around instead of being real tight to the structure, like, you know, a real sun, sunny day, the lights are really bright. You know, most crappy, I mean, I reckon all the crappy, one thing they don't like, like is that, that bright sun. So what they'll do is they like to sh- find the shade side. So even if you're fishing under the bridge middle of the day, most of your crappie is going to be caught in the shade side of the, of the bridge or the bridge pillar. Same way on the structure. You know, they'll be on that structure. Most all the fish you're going to catch is going to be on the shade side of the structure. And they'll be tight middle of the day, sun shining straight down. They'll be right in that structure. And, you know, they get out. They don't like that light. So they'll kind of get in the darkest spot of the structure. As Stephen would just say, you know, most uh, the the guys we're talking to on the show talk about how hard a time they're having right now. And, and it seems like you've, you figured this thing out. What are you doing? A lot of guys are looking for fish in deep water right now, right? I mean, they're looking for schooling fish. I mean, these are some good fishermen around the state that they use their electronics. They look for fish but they're still not catching them. What are you doing different? A couple of things I'll do is, you know, if you pull up on those fish and you see them down on your electronics, I use many different kinds of techniques. You know, I use, you know, ice jig, which is skipper jigs makes a good one. You can take that skipper jig and you can, and I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a skipper jig or a ice jig. It, it's made a little different than a regular jig, the eyelets on the very top. And you can tip it with a minna. And you can drop it down to the bottom and you can just barely lift it up six inches and let it fall. You know, and then you may, you know, come up a foot and let it fall. And I usually start from the bottom coming up. And after you find that magic depth, they like that little twitch and that little live minna, you know, he's sitting there twitching. And that, that jig, and most all of them that I have is, is two-tone, which is two colors. You know, it could be, you know, orange on one side, gold on the other. And he's he's twitching. That jig is 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 twitching too. So they're getting two different colors, you know. That that's twitching with that minna, and they just cannot stand it. Same way on a regular jig, you know. I I use many different name brands, but you know most all of them's the clear ones now that I use, and I prefer you know the orange jig heads. And don't know why I just love the orange and the pinks. I'll drop it down, you know, and and sometimes. Instead of pulling it up, up and down, sometimes you just have to kind of pull it side to side real lightly and give it that pause, and, you know, they can't stand it. They'll they'll hit it every time. That's awesome. We've all kind of heard about the drawdown on Eufaula to work on the dam. One, have they initiated that? The, the lake is falling. It's probably down, I don't know, probably a foot or so right now. They're saying – Mid-September, you know, the lake level is going to be about three foot lower than full pool. So with that being said, you know, you're probably looking at 185, 186. So if, if that's the case, you know, you really need to be careful out on Lake Eufaula, stay in the main channels, you know, 
doing your hard running because there is a lot of stumps mm-hmm. uh, in different places and and some of them has started already showing above the waterline and there's some just very just a couple of inches below the waterline if you're running and you you know if you're not running in the channels or in the you know the creek channels absolutely uh and we and we've talked about that on the show before but how do you feel like so this is going to be the next two weeks that it's down and it's going to be down for a while how is that going to change your approach uh going forward say over the next i don't know six to 12 weeks uh, however long they end up having the water down well you know as long as it's hot you know the sun's out you know and they drop it three foot then i'll probably start looking for more structure that's on ledges and it could be you know trees or it could be just old stump that's setting up most every case and everything i pull up on like you fall off stump or brush pile or whatever is always going to have some crappy on it i mean even some of the smallest things you would never think would be anything on it there's always you know going to be some crappy on it but i think a lot of them will start moving to your ledges and still staying in deeper holes, but I still think they will uh, come up on those flats mm-hmm. and, you know, school and chase the shad, you know, late in the afternoons, early mornings. But I'm going to still fish them early and late in the afternoons. And then I'll go to my ledges, you know, and try to work my ledges more so during the middle of the day. So on your typical, you know, trip, you know, I know you, you guide and it, it sounds like from what Brian was saying is <laughs> – you stay pretty booked up, so you know what is a what is a typical uh, day look like for the listeners who maybe want to come come fish with you. Well, there's very few days. I mean, I could count it on my hands, on both hands, in the last ten years that I've been fishing and guiding, whatever that you know, I don't come in without the limit. Dang, that's and, you know, nice. Nice. That's that's awesome. What kind of size? Is you follow, well, you know, different lakes well, are known you, for bigger crappie than others, but what kind of where does you follow ranking there? Lake you follow, you a good average fish on Lake you follow is between three quarter and a pound and a quarter. That's a good average size. You know, that's a good eating fish. Mm-hmm. As far as the size limit on Lake you follow, there's not one due to us being bordered to Georgia because Georgia doesn't have a size limit. So, I mean, you can keep whatever size you want on Lake you follow. Now, you know, then that's 30 a person. So if you've got, you know, three people on the boat, you can keep 90 fish. Good gracious. Some people love to get, you know, some people like to keep the smaller fish. My grandmother's was one of the, one of the worst ones. You know, if, if it was big enough to bite the hook, you know, that was her favorite. She liked to pick around the bones. You know, she loved them. And then I have clients that like the fillets, the ones that you can play out. I kind of like both. I really do. It seems like it's got more fish flavor when you can fry it whole with the bones. But a lot of people that comes, you know, it's got children, they want them flayed. So it's a lot easier and they get, don't have to take the risk, you know, of, of a bone. But uh, Lakey Follow doesn't have a size limit. And, you know, like I say, it's it's so populated with crappy, it, it's just unreal. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you got, if you're typically guiding two to three people at a time, and you can only count a handful of times that y'all aren't limited out in the boat. That's a lot. 30 man, 30 fish each, and two people in the boat, 60 fish a day. That's strong. That's strong. Yes, sir. It, and you have, you are definitely the crappie king. You got this thing figured out. <laughs> man, I hope uh, I hope for your sake you're not offering a, a cleaning uh, <laughs> fillet service because that's uh, <laughs> extra bonus price. That's there. a lot of filleting. Now, you know, with with people coming to, you know, there's, we went out a couple of weeks ago and, you know, the customers, they all wanted flaying fish. I bet, you know, we probably caught, I bet we caught 150 fish, but, you know, we didn't keep, but, you know, probably 40 because all they wanted was, was the big crappy, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, the pound and a half, pound and a quarter, you know, in that range or, you know, I think we had a couple of two pounders. But all they wanted was the biggest fish. So, you know, we did a lot of catching and releasing. But most people come, I mean, you know, they want they want some small ones, mediums and some big ones. And it's more so of them making memories and, and showing the catch off than what size the fish really was. Right. That's right. That's right. right. Well, and 
so like my dad that's he is a he is a crappie guy he loves it um he just turned 80 this weekend and he still loves to get in his boat right by himself and he crappie fishes but he's in north louisiana around Dell high area great lake but this time of the year he's like brian i don't know what happens i don't know where to go but i sure can't find them i don't do any good in the summertime i just quit and wait till the fall so to a guy like that now it's not on you fall it's a different lake but i have a feeling if i put you at poverty point del high you could go find fish where would a guy like that whether it's in lay lake logan martin anywhere around this state with all the great fishing we've got what would your advice be to tell him to go find the fish? I would I would take my electronics and I would start looking at the ledges, you know, and I was also look at, at any fingers that's off the lake. You know, it could be the main channel. You see the main channel and you've got a little finger that comes off that, you know, still has your 20, 18, 12 foot water that's coming off the main channel. I would usually look on the upper side of that, that finger and I'd, I'd zigzag until you found, find your structure and the fish is going to be on it. I mean, and, and they're going to eat you around. So, I mean, they'll be there. It's and then, you know, even just, just finding them, you know, good electronics now is, can't, is so improved that you take that electronic, you find the fish, and then, you know, you just, you try different techniques, you know, if it's the minnow or if it's the jig or if it's, you know, the ice jig and find out what they want and how they want it. And then after you figure that out, I mean, you can sit there and just load the boat. That's awesome. Well, don't want to keep you too much longer, but now you did say that you got something besides crappie fishing that was very interesting to me and something I grew up doing and miss it terribly and wish I could do it like I did when I was young, living on the Tom Bibby River. Talk to us about your jug fishing. Okay. I do some jug fishing on the lake. Usually what I do is I take a, a Gatorade bottle. <clears throat> I'll get some, some fluorescent paint. Usually I like to use orange. Usually I buy it in gallons. I pour it into the, to the little 20-ounce Gatorade jug, and I shake it up. And then I'll take it and pour the excess you know, into another jug, and I'll hang that jug up on a, you know, I've got little rebar that's drove into the ground that I can hang it up and let it dry, but you can do it on a clothesline or, you know, fence, whatever. You paint the inside of the bottle? Paint the inside of the bottle. Okay. Yes, sir. And the reason why, a lot of times if you paint the outside, it fades a lot faster. And then a lot of times when you mash the jug, some of the paint wants to flake off. Yep. But you could do it on the outside too. Either way, it just holds up a lot better when it's on the inside of the jug. And different times of the year, I've, I've run different depths. Right now, I'm running running my jug lines from 24 foot to 60 foot deep, and you know my far most favorite bait is is skipjack. You can use mullet. Uh, one of the real popular things right now on Lake Eufaula is people getting chicken breast and and soaking it in strawberry Kool Aid, huh. you know, overnight, and they'll use that chicken breast as the bait. And you know, I've heard a lot of people saying that that's really working good for them. And then, you know, after I throw them out, then, you know, I've got a little brim buster that I've got that I've got a bass hook that's tied onto the end. You know, I, I took the bass, bass hook and bent it a little further around. So then when you pull up to get that jug, you can hook, hook the that's line right. around the jug and you can sit there and you can play the fish down where I'm down. Mm-hmm. Some odd reason that's a 40, 60, you know, 80 pound cat. A lot of times, you can tell when you, you need to let that pole go. So if you let that pole go, um, it's just going to float back to the top anyways. So you can go back and get in and just keep on playing them down until you wear them down to get them in the boat. Catfishing is one of the best things I've seen for children because, you know, you're always, you know, driving or checking or moving and, and they, they enjoy the sight of that jug going down and staying down five or 10 minutes or, 15, 20 minutes and then popping back up, you know, I mean, and they enjoy the, the fight of, and then seeing something, you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds, it's amazing to them. You know, most, most kids, you know, based on the age, can't even pick it up, you know, to hold it up to get a good picture. Awesome. Um, but you know, one thing about jug fishing is you've just got to stay there with them because, you know, those, those fish, I mean, 
they're pretty smart. You know, you, you catch one, they're going to go to that structure. You know, they're going to wrap themselves around a limb or a tree or a stump, and they'll sit there and just wrap themselves until, you know, the hook hook breaks or, or the line breaks. And usually I use, you know, 60-pound line, a 7 alt hook. It is fun. And like I say, I remember me and my granddad doing it many times, running around the creeks, you know, and now, is having jugs out. You know, I, I think about jug fishing. I think about, you know, we'd go up to either Demopolis Lock and Dam, Gainesville Lock and Dam, different ones, and, and, and we'd get below the dam, and we'd get just about as close as we could get to it most of the time, and we'd throw out, you know, a couple hundred jugs, and we'd just float down the river because you're, you're in a high current area, and we'd float down the river with them. You know, if we got down, started – quit getting the fish weren't biting as good you weren't picking as many up pick them all back up go up throw them out again and float down the river for another three hours but in a lake like eufaula uh, is it enough is it current enough there to to where you're the jugs are moving and floating or are you pretty much throwing them out and fishing that spot in most cases there's there's either a little bit of current maybe they're generating it in the dam or either there's a little breeze you know it could be you know, and, and the way I like to do it, if if the breeze is out of the north, I like to throw it in the channel or on the ledge of the channel so it's pulling down the channel. But there's there's usually a you know, some kind of little breeze, but there has been days you go out there and it's just as still as you ever seen that jug sit there the whole time. But I do like it, you know, with a little bit of movement so that jug is right moving and it's also putting the scent trail out there so it's a lot more fish can pick up on that scent trail. Well, the beautiful thing you don't have to deal with in Eufaula is the barge traffic because that's that's what was the biggest problem on the rivers. We'd throw these jugs out, and, of course, barges and tugs would come out, and you'd scatter your jugs all over and push them up in the woods, and uh, so you end up having to chase, chase jugs a lot of the night with that. But that's some uh, – I've never – we never tried it that deep, so you're fishing much deeper than we ever tried. And maybe we missed the ball on that, but we, we usually stayed anywhere from three foot to six foot, uh, maybe a little longer than that, but not much. But, uh, man, it sounds like you're catching some big-sized fish, and that's uh, I'm, I'm a noodler, so that's always interesting to me. I love love big catfish. Yes, sir. And like I say, the, during the summertime, you know, those fish are still going to come up in those shallows. They're going to eat those mussels, and, you know, it starts getting hot. That sun starts coming out. They're going to start diving back down to that deep water, and we catch a lot of fish, you know, 40, 50, 60 feet. I mean, and some, I mean, some good ones. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's a lot of fun. Well, we look forward to talking to you more about that, and, and man, we hope you'll be a regular guest on here. It's uh you got a lot of insight on, on Eufaula and crappie and, and the catfish as well. So if somebody wants to come get in the boat with you, if they can, uh, they better hurry up and book it because it sounds like you're <laughs> stay booked up pretty good. But if they're wanting to do that, well, how do they need to contact you? What's the best way for them to get up with you? There's several different ways. You can go to Facebook. You can go to uh, Going Fishing with Tony. Or you can go to my personal Facebook page, which is Tony Adams. Or you can call me on my my cell 334-695-3003 or drop me a text and um you know like i say i'll get with you and you know see if we can't set up a date and a time well that's great man tony thanks for the insight glad we got you on the show uh it's always fun to not only talk to a new guy but talk to a new guy about a species of fish we haven't talked about on on a given lake i mean we have you follow guides on here all the time but we've never talked about crappie fishing even catfishing for that matter, uh, on Lake Eufaula. And it, it, um, so glad you were able to jump on and, and, and give us some insight and look forward to having you on the show again. Yes, sir. I'm glad y'all, y'all, uh, invited me and anything I can help with, just let me know. All right, buddy. We appreciate it. and look forward to talking to you soon. Stay safe. Okay. Y'all too. Thank you. Right, thank you. Bye. That's awesome, man. I loved having Tony on. Looking forward to him being on more. And it sounds like people need to start crappie fishing at Eufaula maybe more than they are. Well, and they, it also sounds like people need to kind of suck it up a little bit and, and keep fishing during the summer because old Tony Tone is waxing them in the middle of the summer when every other crappie guy we talk to is like, ah. They go into the house about 8 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. 
maybe we just y'all just need to dig a little bit deeper. I don't know, but uh, he sounds like he's got it figured out on Ufala, especially during the time of year when everyone else is, you know, kind of got really feet, cool to hear feet hung up on watching something on the TV. That's, that's, so. that's going to motivate some people maybe to get out it and is, hang with them a little is. bit longer. Well, let's move on to our second segment that I'm really excited about, and I know you're excited about too. Let's talk to William Crawford. William, are you on the podcast with us, brother? I am here. Man, William, man, I love William Crawford. Love William Crawford. And I love what he's doing. Glad we get to have him on. How you doing, brother? Man, I am good. I am uh, glad to be back in the saddle and, and back going. And, man, all our guys came in about two weeks ago, and, and we're already burning up the roads and, and uh, out to, to start a, a new season. Absolutely, man. I got to spend some time this summer with one of your guys, Grayson Morris, who we've had on the podcast. I had him slinging bags of feed this summer. Great young man. But, you know, for the listeners who don't know, William, you you say you got you guys back in. Tell everybody who you are, what do you do, and what's going on down there at the university? Because I love what he does, by the way. So come on with it. Absolutely. Yeah, so so I'm William Crawford. I am the director of the Outdoor Scholars Program at the University of Montevallo and also the head fishing coach for the University of Montevallo fishing team. You know, we offer something very unique here at the University of Montevallo through our programs that no one else in the country has to has to offer. And uh, man, I've been blessed to be able to have the position that I have and work with these young people day in and day out. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be doing anything different. Kind of start with the beginning on this thing and, and, and tell us kind of, and, and I don't know if y'all picked that up, guys, but there's scholarships available for people that, that want to be in the outdoor industry. And I don't know, I don't think there's another college in the country that does this, but for guys that love the outdoors, because of you, William, there's scholarships that are available to these guys. So kind of back up just from the start and kind of tell us how long has this been going on, kind of how did it start, and then we'll talk about some of the new things that you guys are doing as well. So we're in our, our sixth year uh, as far as the Outdoor Scholars Program goes. The, the Outdoor Scholars Program was uh, uh, an idea from our, our university president, Dr. John Stewart, who is an avid outdoorsman. He came to me with this idea uh, about seven years ago of, of starting a program that was related around the, the outdoors. And he asked me one question. He, he asked, what do young people here in the South enjoy doing outside of, of athletics? And, and without even thinking, I said, hunting and fishing. And uh, having no idea where he was going with this. And, and he said, well, that's exactly what I'm thinking. He said, what if we develop a program that was geared towards the outdoors for college-age students? And his thought process was behind this, there are so many people that go off to college that are taking away from their, what I call their outdoor playground, their natural resources that they have available to them when they're at home. And they go off to college and, and they don't have the same opportunities to hunt and to fish and, and be around like-minded people. And, and you guys know in today's time and society and the way things go, you know, we need more and more young people involved and not letting them get disconnected. And so this was just a, a crazy idea that a university president had. And I just so happened to, to be on this campus when he had this idea and, and put in charge of this. And uh, man, you, you blink and, and six years later, it is amazing to see how this program has grown and, and what it's kind of developed into. You know, we've got 83 students this year in our program. And wow. uh, it's, it's crazy to think when we started, we had seven. Uh, so it's, it's come a long ways for sure. Now, when you're talking about 83 scholarships, are, are these partial scholarships? I mean, you know, full scholarships? I mean, kind of how is it structured? These scholarships are partial scholarships. All of our students get something. Uh, now, it's gotten very competitive through the years to where, you know, your better students, your your students that are have really accomplished a lot just as high school students, uh, you know, may get more scholarship money. The guys on the fishing team, uh, they get a little bit more scholarship money just because they're putting in more time and effort. And, of course, that gets very competitive uh, from the fishing aspect of things. And, and, you know, the guys that 
tend to have a little bit more talent, just like any other sport out there. They may get a little bit more scholarship money. So it all varies in, in, in what they get, but they're all getting something that's helping pay for, for their education. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and And if I understand it right, William, there's also kind of another aspect to this, and it's not only being able to get a scholarship to come and kind of be involved in greater outdoor element, but this, this focal point of working towards a career in the outdoor industry, whether it's through business administration, whether it's through marketing, TV hosting, all tell us a little bit more about the, the efforts and the, the side of the business aspect, uh, the career aspect of the outdoors that the scholars program offers. So when we first started this program, it was all geared just getting students involved, keeping them involved in the outdoors, taking them hunting, taking them fishing, just opening up those doors and and avenues for for these young people. And then it came to where the students were wanting more, the parents were wanting more. And and so we kind of put our heads together and came up with an idea. Well, why don't we teach and educate these students on career opportunities in in the outdoor industry? And, And I was a prime example when I was their age. I'd have done any, I'd have swept the floors at, 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 at any of these, these big companies just to get my foot in the door to, to work with them. Cause that's all I, I thought about. That's all I did. And, but it's so hard to get tied into these, these, these companies and, and organizations. And what I've learned over the last five years is just like anything else, it's all of who, you know, and, uh, and being able to make those connections that we have made through the last few years and, and introducing our program to the industry itself, it, it has helped tremendously. And so we always ask the students, first thing when they come in, what's your dream job? Like, what, what is it that you want to do for a living? And uh, I always keep a mental note of that and try to help that student get to that point. And I mean, we've got students that want to work you know, once they finish here in the marketing side of, of the business, we've got students that are, uh, have learned the, the video and graphic design side. And we try to give them the hands-on experiences they need. Uh, you know, some, some of our guys as the fishing team has grown and developed through the years. I mean, we've got guys that want to be professional anglers. And, you know, I have some right now that you'll be seeing their names before too long walking across the, the stage at a Bassmaster Classic. I mean, it's crazy to see these young people and the drive that they have uh, to be successful and to have a career in, in this industry. And, and our job is just kind of like the middleman is trying to help them lay down that foundation and get them where they want to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I got to actually experience that firsthand this summer uh, because, you know, I took one of your students, Grayson, and really just introduced him to a lot of what we do here and let him, uh, I took him on a, uh, a marketing outing where we were filming some material for a fish hatchery. I, you know, he got to experience the, the manufacturing side of, of a hunting, of a feed business. Uh, I got to, you know, show him a lot of my past experience in the fishing industry and walk through that with him. And it was really cool to, because uh, I too am an industry guy like William. All I, all I ever wanted to do was fish professionally, but I knew I also wanted to be in the outdoor industry. Yep. And I've loved it. And I've been in the outdoor in- industry my entire career. And so it was really cool this summer to take a guy like Grayson who reminds me a lot of myself outside of Grayson's about 400 times better fisherman than I ever was <laughs> and, and ever will be. He's a phenomenal young man, but his drive, his focus, his his understanding, his maturity level at his age was really awesome to see. And I was able to actually, because I got a lot of guys, I actually got a lot of young guys in here. I was actually able to let him experience more than those guys because of his focus, of his desire to want to be in, in the industry and his maturity level. And so it was a lot of fun this summer, kind of walking Grayson through a lot of the stuff that I do. Yeah. And I was going to say, if you guys, if y'all, if you're a listener of the podcast and you missed that episode, go back. I I can't even remember which one it was, but look for Grayson on the podcast and try to find him because you're talking about a well-spoken, mature, 
young man. Uh, he, you got a good one up there, William, to work we with. We do. We do. He's good as they, they come. And, and not just him. The vast majority of our students are made from that same mold, just like him. And that's what makes this fun is being around these young people that, that have that drive and, and, and passion and, and have a, a good level sense about what's going on. And, and uh, it, it just makes my job fun. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's the next thing I was going to say is from what I see and, and have heard through your program, if we do it right and, and it keeps going like it's going, uh, there's a lot of uh, outdoor companies that could have a lot of really good young talent come into their companies here in the coming years. And and so uh, that's that's awesome. I've, I've loved your program since day one yeah. and, and, and I love what you're doing. And so you know, where do we go from here, man? What's, what's coming down the pipeline with the scholars program? Are we just steadfast and where do you pivot or how do you pivot or, or you just keep trying to grow this thing as big as it can get? Or is there a cap, man? Do you, who knows? I mean, who would have thought in six years you'd have 80 something kids? You can't I mean, slow William down. I mean, what, what's, where do we go from here? You know, that's, that's the million dollar question. And, uh, we're actually sitting right now over the next few months, kind of evaluating how things are going right now. And, and I know things are different on campus just due to, to COVID. And so we've had to, you know, adjust how we run and, and operate things, which has been a good thing because it's changing some things up and we're doing some things a little different, but we're just going to have to wait and see how this year plays out and see what it's like with, with the number of students that we have. And, you know, one of the, the cool things about my job is, is getting to know these students on a personal level. And, and my fear is you get to be too big, you miss that, that, mm-hmm. that one-on-one interaction. And so that's something that's always in the back of my mind. And, you know, as anything, funding is the biggest thing, obstacle that, that we face. And if the money's there and the resources are there, then, then we can, can definitely move forward if, if we need to. But, uh, you know, that's, that's just something that time will tell. And, and I like where we're at right now with the number of students, our fishing team. Uh, we've got right at 50 guys on our fishing team. And, you know, collegiate fishing has changed so much over the last five years to where there's, there's a lot more meat on the bone, a lot more tournaments uh, on our schedule. And so you need some extra bodies out there to, to, to send off to all these tournaments because they do have to go to class at some point in time. That's right. Uh, so, so we'll we'll see we'll see what what happens over the next few months and and see what direction we need to take and uh you know we're just now starting to hit some of that turnover from graduation right now so uh we'll see how it all plays out in the the coming months but you know it's been amazing to see as far as the funding side goes how people have stepped up and and helped uh, along the way and as I tell people all the time, we wouldn't be able to do what we do if it wasn't for our sponsors and supporters of the program. And and we've really started making a name for ourselves. Uh, you know, we've got deals now with Drake Waterfowl, their performance fishing line, Monty Oak Fishing. And and uh, so you start getting big names like, like that involved, it, it, uh, it definitely helps out. No doubt. Well, and I know you're fixing to have to run, and, uh, but talk to us real quick about OSTV. Uh, outdoor scholars television uh, is, where can people watch that kind of tell us a little bit about it i know you've been sending so, them to me and they are awesome man well well done your guys are doing a great job putting this together but uh kind of tell the, the listeners a little bit about that so so outdoor scholars tv was a way for us to try to tell our story better you know so many young people are, are on social media 24 7 and uh so we decided on all of our adventures that we go on, whether we're hunting or fishing across the country, you know, how can we document this better and, and better tell our story? And and so three years ago, we started having our own students that were interested in the, the video and production side of the industry following us around and, and capturing, you know, our memories. And, and then, you know, we would take it back and do the post-production side of everything and and put it out there. And, and man, that's been one of the biggest recruiting tools that we've had through the last couple of years. Cause the students see an episode of outdoor scholars TV and they're like, well, how do I sign up? For this? Yeah. I want to be there. 
Exactly. I mean, what what college age kid uh, at any any other institution gets to go to Wyoming and go antelope hunting, or go to the Bahamas and blue marlin fish, and and mm-hmm. so you know all this has been documented. But but what it's given our students is is an opportunity to get those hands on experiences that I mentioned earlier in the TV world and the video production world. They're getting to 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 lay down the footage and and produce it. And it allows them to create a resume. So whenever they get done with school, they've done a lot more than what most people have done their first few years, you know, in the real world. So uh, it's been a great little project. We've got some very, very talented students that have worked on this. You you can watch these episodes on our YouTube channel. Uh, You can just search Outdoor Scholars TV and it'll pop up to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can also watch it on Instagram, on our Instagram channel, and on Instagram TV. So uh, those are the two outlets that, that you can see it at. But it's uh, it's been a cool project. The students love it. And, and it's I promise you, it's never a dull moment when they're in front of the cameras. Oh, I'll bet. That's awesome. Well, uh, William, outside of that, tell, tell everybody about how can they, you know, explore more about the scholars program from a standpoint of either uh, supporting it uh, and or, you know, uh, maybe there's a dad or a mom listening to the podcast that, you know, has a has a child that is might be interested in being a student. Like where can they where, where can they go find out more about the outdoor scholarship program at the University of Montevallo and explore a little bit deeper? The, the best way that has every avenue uh, out there that that's that you can find is through our website uh, which is outdoorscholars.montevallo.edu that has all of our links to our social media pages it has all of my contact information phone numbers and emails uh, it has all of you know outdoor scholar tv episodes uh, anything from our newsletter uh, more information about our our program Students can even apply through the website. Uh, we even have an online store now that's available. I mean, it, it's anything that they need can be found right there. And again, that's outdoorscholars.montevallo.edu. Thank, well, William, man, that is awesome. Thank you again for getting on. I know it was short notice, and, and thankfully we got we got hooked up at a good time where we could get you on. And, and man, I, I love what you're doing. I know Stephen loves what you're doing. And, and man, what a great resource that you're providing education wise for these guys i know that you know if i was a parent and i had a kid that loved the outdoors i would sure rather them be a part of something like this than sending them to 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 college uh not not having something that could take their time up and uh they they could end up like me you know, maybe hunting on land that they wasn't probably supposed to hunt on in college and things. No, I didn't do that, William, really. <laughs> Just great stuff what you guys are doing. And so uh, y'all go check it out. Check out Outdoor, Outdoor Scholars website and uh, reach out to William. I know he'll be glad to hear from you if you've got a student or if you are a student who, who is interested in, in this program. And, uh, man, keep doing what you're doing, brother. We love it. Well, thank you. All right, man. Absolutely, man. See you, William, uh, and look forward to actually seeing you soon, maybe one day and catching up with you. Good deal. Good deal. Thanks, you guys. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, William. All right. See you. Man, what an awesome segment. It's just great to see something like that. I mean, scholarships for the outdoors. Who would have thought it? Yeah, man, the world's changing for people who enjoy the outdoors. I'm so glad to see it. You know, It really, if you think about it, it started changing about 15 years ago when college fishing came into the picture and high school fishing came into picture and then really the sky's the limit of you know not only from the fishing side but but also from the hunting side and just the outdoor industry in general and so glad to hear about the programs and really they're kind of first in their class of you know offering talented young people both boys and girls an opportunity to further their development of a of a passion that's in their heart and, and ultimately turn it into a career. I love it because it was, it was my desire. Like right. I, I wanted my passion to be my job and, and I've always been passionate about the outdoors and, and I've been blessed to have, you know, I'm 15 years into my career and it has been in the outdoor industry the entire time. And it would have been perfect for somebody like me because I, that was my passion too. I always dreamed and desired to be in the outdoor industry in some form or fashion, but I didn't know how to get there. Yeah. 
I didn't have the contacts. I didn't have the people in my life to guide me in, hey, these are the avenues that you can go to get in the, and that's what he's doing. Absolutely. And he's giving them scholarship to do that. I mean, 80, over 80 scholarships this year. Yeah. And so kids like me and you can come in and go, okay, well, I like yeah. this side of it or I like that side of it. And then, and then, man, give them real life experience. It's really cool. Anyway, this is a fishing report. So let's get back to that real yeah. quick. And uh, let's go to Lake Jordan with Walker Kent. What's going on, buddy? Uh, what's going on, guys? Y'all doing all right today? Man, we're doing good. Appreciate you jumping on here. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Good to hear you, Walker. I know you tend to be uh, throwing something up in that Coosa grass on Lay Lake, but it sounds like you moved on down the system and you've been fishing on Jordan a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, I have. I mean, I've still been going to Lay too, but we fished a little a little tournament series down here, and they were they were on the, on Jordan this past weekend. So we went down there a few days last week, knocked around and fished this past weekend. And I mean, a lot of times Jordan and Lay fish completely different but right now i guess just being the time of the year it's pretty much they mirrored each other i think anywhere on the south coosa right now say like lay mitchell jordan i think all three of those lakes are probably fishing just alike so i think you could probably go to any of those three and do the same thing and probably have a little bit of success well tell us what you're doing on those lakes right now how you catching fish well i know last time we talked the frog bite was starting to kind of come into its own a little bit but now they're i mean it's getting better we're into september now today's the first so you know fall's coming and you can kind of start to tell it we're catching some on a frog still early but there's a lot of shad now starting to move on back in the in the backs of creeks and the backs of the bigger pockets and and there's some fish kind of getting up on these flats now and and chasing the shad around you'll see fish kind of busting all throughout the day so we've been catching a lot of fish on those flats if you can find some isolated structure, you know, a stump or a, a tree or a rock or something up on the flat, just about everyone you come to has a fish or two on it. And you can kind of rotate through those. You know, you might catch one off a stump and let it rest for an hour or two and go back to it and catch one or two more. So they're kind of starting to get a little, fish are still really spread out, but they're kind of getting a little more predictable than what they have been over the, the past month to me anyway. So really as you began to transition are you keen on the shad to know that the transition is happening and that you need to rethink your approach well really yeah i'm keen on the shad but the first sign to me is always those hybrid bass or those white bass i noticed about a week and a half ago those fish started schooling everywhere and that lets you know right they're always the first first to do it this time of year and that lets you know that the shad are start you know you may not be able to see the shad if it wasn't for those bass coming up, those white bass coming up and schooling and eating on them like that. And that kind of gives you the clue. I've seen them at first. I saw them out kind of towards the mouth. And over just the past three or four days, they've gone further back and further back in the creeks. And then this past Saturday, I mean, we caught them. The fish we caught were as far back as you could get. And, I mean, they were there was a ton of fish in there. There was probably five or six boats fishing this one flat in the in the very back of a creek on Lake Jordan and everybody was catching fish. So, I mean, it was just, it was loaded. It was loaded with fish, and we caught them in there. You know, it slowed down after the first few hours, but we still steadily, I mean, we left and tried some different stuff and came, went back to the same creek and stayed back there in the back, and we just consistently caught fish all day long, you know, just pick up two or three here, two or three there, but we never went. You know, once we were in the back of a creek, we wouldn't go more than about 30 minutes or so, and we would be, we'd be catching one or two and it seemed like you could catch one you could catch you know two or three and then it would kind of slow down for a few minutes and then you might come across another piece of structure i mean we knew where some structure was but we're really just out on that flat just kind of blind casting and you would you know we were just dragging a worm around just i mean anybody can do it just a quarter ounce texas rig with a like a mag two zoom worm i mean just sling it out there as far as you can throw it and just drag it across the bottom to kind of, and that's just to find the structure. You can catch those fish on a lot of things. You know, we caught some on a little crankbait, some on a, on a czar spook and some on a fluke, but our main bait of choice was the worm just because we were looking for that structure and it kind of helped us, you know, find it. And it seemed like about the time we'd find it, you know, Oh, there's a piece of something you'd get a bite and catch one. Yeah. So I think so those you- fish are just kind of, 
kind of holding up on that, you know, it doesn't have to be a big piece of structure either. I mean, it could be a rock or I think those fish are just kind of sitting there and just waiting for that shad to, to come by. And then, you know, they'll come up and the, the bass are, are schooling on them too, but they'll just come up for just a second. I mean, they'll come up, you know, you'll see one or two blow up and then they'll be gone again. So it's, you can't really catch them schooling yet but it kind of gives you an idea of where the fish are located anyway yeah absolutely and so dragging that worm you're, you're finding the structure uh and really its location as well you know versus just blind casting and 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 you know a, a moving bait and not really knowing when and where you got you hooked up but did you find that when you found the structure would you get bit or would you need to cast back and, you know, finding the structure was key and then making multiple casts to that structure is what was getting you bit or were you getting bit once, once you kind of hit something and you, you once you felt something, you, you were kind of ready to set the hook. Yeah. I mean, they were there kind of like you said, first, first or second cast. I mean, once you found the structure, you normally got the bite mm-hmm. right then. I mean, it wasn't like a repeated, cast type deal mm-hmm. if you didn't you know if you were cast into a stump if you made three or four casts and you didn't get bit you could pretty well know you know there's not a fish around because it was mm-hmm. usually first or second cast and several times we would hook up at the same time you know first two casts in there catch two and then you know that was it we'd move on to the next one now some of those we could rotate back around to and there would be another fish on them and you know we would catch another fish there a few hours later but most it wasn't a lot of fish, you know, at one time it was catch one, two or three and then move to another piece of structure, brush, stump, whatever it may be, catch one or two and then move to one. You know, we didn't catch one on every single piece of structure we fished by any means, but right. I would say, you know, half of the brush or structure we fished, we, we got bites in and that's, that's pretty high percentage to me. You know, if you're getting a bite on every other stump, Absolutely. You're fishing, that's yeah. pretty 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 high odds you kind of you know you've kind of got figured out what's going on but yeah um so so jordan as anybody who's aware of anything uh you know is dominated by spotted bass and it's amazing spotted bass fishery but it sounds like you're describing you did you were catching largemouth were you catching largemouth off this structure or are you catching spots we were we were catching mainly largemouth. Now we mm-hmm. caught some spots too, but the the structure up on those flats that we were kind of concentrating on was in like that five to six, maybe seven foot range. It wasn't really deep, and mm-hmm. the largemouth were kind of relating to that. Now there was a few brush brush piles that we had marked in the past and we already knew about that were just off the flat in about twelve or fourteen feet of water that we fished, and we caught spots out of those. Mm-hmm. But the shallower brush it seemed to have largemouth in it. And then we caught a few spots too, just they would come up busting and we would pick something up and fire it out there at them mm-hmm. and catch them. But it was, I would say we probably, the last trip we probably caught maybe 25 fish and I would say 20 of them were largemouth. So it was, oh, wow. it was, it was mostly, mostly a largemouth deal. But I mean, those spots are there too, but those spots are way more aggressive and, and way more active, I think, than those largemouth. Those largemouth just kind of sit there on that structure and wait, and those spots will get out there and they'll chase. You know, they're not really going to hunker down and wait on something to go by. They'll mm-hmm. they'll go find it themselves. They're more, I would say, they're closer to almost like a smallmouth than than actually a largemouth as far as their predatory instincts. Well, and you know, and I was thinking uh, when when we started talking about Jordan, I don't think we've had another report from Jordan in the past, and you know, all up and down that chain, whether it's you know, Lay Lake's a lot different than Logan Martin, and Mitchell's different than Lay, and, you know, kind of where does Jordan fit in as far as, is it a lot of grass, is it not much grass, kind of how does it different, or how is it similar, which lake is it kind of similar to? Jordan, actually, it's probably the most diverse lake on the Coosa River system, I would say, because you're getting really close into like that Alabama River type area up towards Montgomery. So the lower end of the lake fishes a lot like Lay Lake or I would say Lay Lake. It's more flat and grassy. And then as you get up the river, it turns into more of, of a river system to where it's more current oriented and it's just basically all spotted bass fishing. If you're going to go up the river, you're pretty much dedicated to you're going to try to catch spotted bass but i would say from like the blackwells 
area, which is a big creek on Lake Jordan that's pretty well known. From that area south is pretty much where all the largemouth fishing happens. And then from there north up to the dam to the tail race is where a lot of that fishing goes on. And I do know I have some friends that have been up there fishing the tail race, and they've been catching some giants, but the numbers just aren't up there yet. Like one guy, a buddy of mine, he had he only had three fish on Saturday, but they weighed almost 14 pounds. So he had three and they were spots. So he had three really big spots, but that was just, that was, they were the only ones that bit all day up there. So it's really not, you know, you can catch them up there and, and there's some guys that can really, really catch them good up there. But I think it's the same deal up there. They're just, they're not really in those current breaks that well. They're just scattered out everywhere up there, just chasing bait right now, trying to gorge up getting ready you know for fall and then into winter so it's they're kind of not the spots aren't as predictable right now as they will be in another month or so absolutely and so one of the things that's always uh bothered me and i'd love for to get your take on it is you always hear about you know fall comes and shed starts schooling up and shed in the back of the creeks and go find some shad and you'll find bass well that for me that ain't the truth. It ain't that easy. It ain't that easy to go pull up in a creek full of shad and catch bass. Or I just don't know what I'm doing. But I feel like I halfway know what I'm doing. Give us a little more insight on the approach to fall and shad and, and, and falling these shad up into these creeks and, and, and actually being able to get on some fish and be productive with chasing you know shad schools and things like that are there nuances that you've found are there, are there is there a strategy there that you found over the years that can maybe help our listeners uh really kind of figure that out because you know i think you you would agree with me that it, it, it ain't just pulling up in a creek and seeing some shad and throwing over there and catching bass you're a hundred percent right i mean I, I would say you know if you pull in 10 creeks probably nine of them are going to have shad and and you're not going to catch a bass in them. So, I mean, usually what I look for is if I pull in a creek, and right now any creek you go in is going to if they if they're not if it's not loaded with shad right now, it will be in a week. So, I mean, if you pull in a creek and you're fishing right now, I always I'll go to the back and work my way out just because with the Coosa River, I always feel like there's a few big fish that live shallow. Doesn't matter what time of year it is. So I'll always go to the back right now and work my way out. And if I'm back there and I'm seeing a lot of shad and I don't see a fish blow up in it, or I don't see any kind of any other activity besides just the shad, if I don't at least see like some of those white bass, those hybrid bass I was talking about coming up and blowing up on some stuff, I'll just leave and go to the next one. Because if you see shad and stuff's not eating them, the fish aren't there. Because if they're not eating the shad, they're definitely not going to eat your bait. Because I mean, if they can't have, if they can't eat the real thing, that means there's, there's nobody home, you know? So yeah. that's kind of, I just kind of watch the surface mainly. And if I don't, if I don't see some fish blowing up every now and then, unless it's a place that I'm just really, really confident in, you know, just somewhere that I know this time of year, just mm-hmm. fishing history type deal where I feel like there's a lot of fish, but just, just as far as going somewhere new and trying to chase shad and catch bass, yeah, I wouldn't just. You know, if you see shad, I wouldn't say, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna catch them here," because more times than not, like you said, you're if you're not, and if, if there's bass around, they're gonna make themselves known really quick because they'll be blowing up on the shad. You know, it may not be just crazy blowing up nonstop, but every few minutes, you're gonna hear one or see one come up and get a bite, and then go back down. You kind of know there's some fish around, but it's not really hard. You just gotta kind of just be aware of your surroundings and just you know, kind of just keep scanning the water, especially if you're if you're dragging a worm or throwing a square bill crankbait or something like that. I mean, you can feel everything that's going on. So you can be paying attention to your line, but you can also be listening and kind of scanning and looking around and, and looking for activity. But if there's shad and, and nothing eating the shad, then you can pretty much pack it up and move to the next creek. That's a good tip right there. Well, Walker, man, we appreciate it, and uh, thanks, thanks again, as always, for getting on. Love hearing from you, and uh, I'm still gonna come fishing with you. I promise. We got to do that. We got to make that happen soon. Appreciate it, man. Keep catching them, and uh, stay safe out there. And we look forward to talking to you again soon, brother. All right, guys, I appreciate it. Thank y'all for having me. All right, Walker, take care, man. Thanks. All right, man.
All right, Stephen, another good episode, man. Another end of a day. Yeah, I, I love that we were able to get William on and, and kind of hear about the Scholars Program. And then uh, I'm a huge fan of Lake Jordan. Um, so glad to hear that the fish are starting to turn on there as well. And, and then, like I said, it's always fun to get on a lake that we talk about a lot, and but for a different species. So the crappie of on Lake, lake Martin was uh, – Oh, Lake Eufaula. Oh, sorry, sorry, Lake Eufaula. Glad to get Tony on, especially being his first time and talking about crappie fishing on Eufaula. I thought that was great, yeah, because like you said, man, we just don't hear that very much. Not just not just the report from crappie fishing report from Eufaula, but somebody catching crappie like that dude's catching crappie this time of the year is pretty remarkable and, and, and encouraging. So, uh, as always, guys, Please subscribe, rate, drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, you know we will. Just go on and head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash AFFR, and we'll send you the show each and every single week. So for Alabama Fishing Report, that is a wrap. Stephen, look forward to seeing you next week, brother. Absolutely. Thanks, man. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you want to grow big fish or healthier fish or just get your lake in better shape, call Southeastern Pond Management. You can call Norman Latona at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com and and give Norman a call. And brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344.